What a blessing to be in church today. Nehemiah chapter 4. So y'all prayed, y'all prayed, I know you did, y'all prayed for, that the Lord have his hands on uh, the tracks and, uh, and you came to church and uh, the Lord saved a soul. Amen. You pray for Brother Chase that uh, he'll be able to get grounded and he'll be encouraged the next couple weeks and we're just thankful for what the Lord's done. We're not worthy. What a blessing it is to serve the Lord. And uh, like we just sang, work for the night is coming. There's lots of work to do, isn't there? And uh, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 4, now that you're there, now that you're comfortable, I'll have you stand. We'll read a few verses here. Read verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. The Bible says here in verse 1, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in, in a day? And by the way, you see that question there? You better believe they will one day. <laughs> when the Lord comes back, it's going to be one day. You know what that day is called? The day of the Lord. <laughs> uh, he says, will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? There's another great question. Isn't it interesting to me? Uh, I'll get through the passage eventually. But before 1948, uh, when uh, the ragheads and all the, I know that's not politically correct, but that's what they are and the Muslims over there, uh, the, the land of Canaan there, Israel, it averaged two to three inches of rain per year. When God's people went over from 1948 to now, check it out. It's up to 22 inches per year. I wonder why. You put the right people in there, God's going to do something with that piece of land. He says, uh, and, and uh, the reason I said that is because the Jews have done more with that land in 50 years than the Muslims and the ragheads did in 3,000 years. <laughs> he says, well, they... Uh, Revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. What the... What Nehemiah is doing is he's praying what's known as an imprecatory prayer. You say, what in the fire is that? He's praying, Lord, get them. Lord, get them. That's how David prayed. Now, we're supposed to love our enemies. <laughs> and when we pray, we don't necessarily say, Lord, get them, and Lord, kill them, and all that. That's not how we do it. We've got Jesus Christ and grace, amen. But here in Nehemiah, back in those days, man, they were praying imprecatory prayers like burn their house down. Uh, verse 6, So built we the wall, one of the greatest phrases in the Bible. And all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Now, you need to mark this down in your mind. That's been the history of that piece of ground for the last 2,500 years. Everyone's been trying to conspire and exterminate that Jew. But that Jew is the apple of God's eye. ain't going to happen. Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Brother Chuck, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching tonight? Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I think you know this, but the Christian life is filled with a number of crossroads. And once you joyfully enlist, amen? I had someone joyfully enlist today. That's getting saved. Once you get saved, once you joyful enlist, 
and prayerfully prepare, then you take a solid stand. That's next. You got to take a stand. If you're saved and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, within time the Lord will give you the unction and the understanding and the backbone to go out into this world where you live and where you have your being and therefore take a stand for Jesus Christ. Now listen, the moment you do that, <laughs> you know what's going to happen next? What we're going to preach about. What happens next is here comes the foe that awaits. The foe is not your friend. The foe is your enemy known to us as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And here in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah has come to just that. He's availed himself to enlistment, if we could say it like that in the Old Testament sense. Chapter 1, he's taken his stand. In chapter 2, he's observed the challenges. and Now he has to face the foe. And here in our text today, we see the foe that he faces. First of all, if you look in verse 1, the foe that he faces is wroth from what he hears. He is slap ticked off. Now let me say this, when you get saved, the devil is now your enemy. He's not your friend. Uh, it's like this, uh, if I had uh, young children at home and someone came in and stole them in the middle of the night, I'd be livid. And hopefully I would not be awakened or you'd be dead. But that's what happens when someone gets saved. They are stolen from the devil's playroom. And they now become a child of God. But So they're wroth from what he hears. In verse 1, not only are they wroth from what they hear, they're now indignant about what's going on. You know what the word indignant is? It's just anger, disdain, despisement. Uh, here in verse 1, they're wroth, they're indignant, and now they're mocking those that are trying to do something for God. Now, Christian, I think you know this. The moment you try to do something for God, here comes the mocking. Here comes someone giving you a hard time about trying to do something for Jesus Christ. We really didn't face much of it yesterday, but there might have been a couple instances where someone tried to give you a tough time over it or tried to scoff at you or like, oh, you, you know, and that's the, what that is. That's opposition to the truth. And not only that, and notice in verse 2 to 3, notice the foe is bitterly sarcastic in his mannerisms. Christians, that's why you've got to watch your conduct. That's why you've got to watch your temperament. Because we know the foe is bitterly sarcastic against what you're doing for Jesus Christ. The last thing you want to do is do the devil's job and be a bitter sarcastic thump just because you think you've got the upper hand. Now listen, we're heaven bound with a hammer down, amen? But that never gives you and I the right to uh, a wrong conduct as a Christian. You and I should be perfect gentlemen and perfect ladies, uh, respectively to your gender, of course. <laughs> but you should be a perfect gentleman. You should be a perfect lady. And that doesn't mean you're weak and no backbone. I'm showing you that the opposition, the foe, is bitterly sarcastic. And in your Christian life, when you take a stand, the foe is going to come. Isn't it interesting, uh, some of you have been saved for a while, if you just kind of lay back and, and don't really take a stand for much, you, you can kind of slide on easy street for a while, but all of a sudden the Lord gets you, he gets you a little bit uncomfortable, and you're like, man, i gotta, man, I got to say a word about the Lord. Oh, i got to pass out of track. Man, I gotta, and next thing you know, you're back in it, and here comes the opposition. You're like, oh, that uncomfortable, uneasy feeling, like there's a big booger on the end of your nose, right? And you just found out it, and everyone in the office knew about it. I know it's a terrible example, but you come up with a better one, I'll write it down, amen. <clears throat> so when they come at you, Christian, and the foe comes at you, you got to be ready, amen. You are to expect the opposition in life and in any ministering that you do. You have to expect it. Uh, and this thing has to be taught. This thing has to be lived. This thing, I guess you could say, it has to be trained. You have to expect it. You have to expect it. Listen, uh, just because you're saved and you believe the Bible... Nobody knows and nobody cares. Is that okay to say it like that? Nobody cares that you believe the King James Bible but you. Nobody knows that uh, you believe that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, died for your sins, and is the absolute answer for every man's problems. Nobody knows that. Nobody cares but you. And you've got to be ready for the opposition. Uh, can I say it like this? You cannot lose time being exasperated at the inevitable. If we know afflictions are going to come, we know the foes come, we know hard times are coming, when they come, we have got to learn to stop being all worked up about it and say, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> Praise the Lord and pass the chicken.
And here in our text, the Holy Spirit teaches you and me how to overcome that foe. I want to give you some things tonight about overcoming the foe. They're real simple, and there won't be anything uh, that you can't chew or can't understand. But let me say it like this. First of all, uh, if you're going to overcome the foe today in the Christian life, uh, first of all, you're going to have to do it with prayer. You're going to have to do it with prayer. That's verse number four. One of the first things Nehemiah does is he doesn't get a coalition together. Amen? He doesn't, go, he doesn't go call everybody and go, oh, someone picked on me today, and I just had such a bad day, and I had to tell you about it, and I'm telling you, it's the worst day of my life, and nobody appreciates what I do around here. I tell you, it's just, just so terrible. He just he hits his knees, and he starts praying in verse 4 right there. He says, look at it. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Now, listen, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm thankful I'm married. I'm glad my wife married me. It's a blessing right there. And when I have a bad day sometimes, guess what? She's going to hear about it. But you know who really needs to hear about it? The Lord. And the first thing, if you're going to overcome the fall in your Christian life, you have to remember it's going to happen with prayer. It has to happen with prayer. That opposition comes, the foe comes, you overcome it with prayer. Notice this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, very familiar verse. You know what prayer is? Prayer is an outlet for frustration. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. You know, sometimes you just get so worked up in the Christian life, you just got to throw up, don't you? I'm talking figuratively. I, I remember some, sometimes we'll be doing a, a tree job or something, and it'll be early spring or something, and uh, we'll get, uh, I, I know, uh, terrible. You know, chew me out later. I don't want to hear it, actually. But we'll get, like, one of them energy drinks or something. You know, pre-workout, right? Ooh. And we'll hammer that thing. Oh, caffeine, ready to go. You do coffee. You know, I'll do the ghost or whatever thing there. And will go out there, and all of a sudden, man, all of a sudden your heart will start just taking right off. You think it's going to leave your chest, you know what I mean? And next thing you know, you're going to throw up. That's how anxious you get sometimes in your Christian life. You just got to throw up. And that's what you need to do to the Lord. You say, I need to go to the Lord and throw up? Yeah, figuratively, yes. Because he's the only one that can do anything about it. I know you think your friends can, but the Lord is the one that can handle your puking better than anybody else. And prayer is an outlet for frustration. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Just a couple things on prayer. We're talking about overcoming the foe. Do you not want to overcome that foe this week? It's going to take some prayer to get it done. Now you say, preacher, I know. We need to pray. We need to read our Bible. We need to wait. Okay, all right. But let me tell you what. The more we review this stuff and the more it gets ingrained inside of your head, the more readily available it will be when you need it. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, the Bible says, be careful for nothing. That's talking about not being careless. It's just don't go around being full of care. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Isn't that a great verse? How many of you know that verse? Raise your hand. Everybody, right? You know that verse? It's a very common verse, but yet we find it so difficult to do during the day. You say, why? Well, because most of us got this cockeyed idea that prayer has to be in a specific place, in a specific posture, and for a certain specific length of time. That's what the devil, that's what the devil does to your relationship with the Lord. He tries to make it religion. He tries to make it difficult. Prayer is not difficult in the sense of doing it. Now, in your mind, it gets difficult because it hates you. it's against your flesh is what it is. All right, so prayer, it's an outlet for frustration. It's an avenue for communication. And uh, <clears throat> notice that this back at our text here, uh, Nehemiah's prayer enabled his plea for help. His prayer enabled his plea for help. He says right there in verse 4, Hear, O our God. Notice he didn't go to the king. See, he got permission from the king to go do the work. But the first thing he does, he doesn't go to the rulers, he doesn't go to the princes, he doesn't go to the nobles who wouldn't even put their necks to the work. He goes right to the Lord who's the one that commissioned him to do the work in the first place. He's like, hey man, I need some help. Now you told me to go out into this world and be an ambassador for you and I'm getting my face kicked in here. Will you help me out? I'm just telling you that prayer enables a plea for help. The second thing I see, prayer enables a request for reversal. In verse 4, you see the request for reversal. The, you know, Nehemiah just doesn't go, oh, Lord, oh, woe is me. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. He's like, turn that thing around, Lord. 
Hey, Lord, you told me to build a wall. Let me quote what he says here. He says here in verse number four, turn their reproach upon their own head. To me, that looks like a reversal, doesn't it? It's okay to pray for that reversal. Having a hard time at work? Pray for the reversal. Now, it might not come, but you can always pray that people change. And when they don't change, okay, yeah, preacher, what happens when they don't, pray, they don't change? <laughs> then you pray God will change you. <laughs> you see how that works? You pray for the situation to change, and when it doesn't change, you say, all right, Lord, oh, that thing ain't changing, so would you change me to be able to have a better attitude to handle it? That's a reversal. It's either reversal in the outcome of that problem, or it's a reversal in how you would normally deal with it. Either way, it's a prayer for reversal. It enables a plea for help. It enables a request for reversal. And notice this, of course, in verse 5, we talked about it just a minute ago. Prayer enables their imprecatory response. Imprecatory, that's a, that's a prayer against somebody. Verse 5, he says, And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Let me tell you what, whenever you get opposition to the work of God, you get opposition in your Christian life, people against what you're doing and serving the Lord and trying to be a testimony, the Lord is against them. And not only that, but they are against themselves. And so you don't have to worry about praying against them. Just pray for that thing to be reversed or the Lord to uh, soften their hearts so you can give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what this world needs? It's not another four years with so-and-so. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, answers, all the problems would be solved if Christ would come back tonight. Over. Done. See you later. Goodbye. <laughs> Amen. But if he's not going to come back, then you and I need some prayer. And we're going to have to have some pleas for help and some requests for reversal. And we're going to have to get the right estimation on that thing. Well, prayer is an outlet for frustration, an avenue for communication. And notice this. Prayer provides discipline for personal consecration. It provides discipline. Do you realize that it takes discipline to pray? Uh, you know that's true, and the reason you know that's true tonight is because it's so difficult to do. Uh, there's nobody I've ever met that just says, oh yeah, I just I pray four hours a day. <laughs> Amen. Nobody does it. Prayer is that takes discipline. And when you pray, it provides discipline for personal consecration. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, Paul was all about praying. Uh, whenever you run into Paul, he's praying about somebody. He's praying about people. He's praying about souls. He's praying about his preacher boys. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, notice what he says here. He says here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You say, what does that mean? Well, how do you lift up hands? You say, well, that's goofy, that's charismatic. No, that helps you from not going to sleep. <laughs> right? That's what he said. But every man should pray. It takes discipline. Every woman should pray. It takes discipline. It takes time. It takes effort. And you know what? You don't do it enough. Okay, you do and I don't. You're just like, oh, oh, preacher, we do. Whatever, help yourself, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it provides discipline, and prayer is a discipline. Uh, back in uh, around uh, 1986 at the meetings of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, there's a fellow there named Bobby Richardson, uh, a former New York Yankee second baseman. And uh, he offered a prayer. And it's a classic in its brevity and its poignancy. He prayed this, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, amen. You say, what did you say that for? Because in your prayer life, it doesn't have to be a, a doctoral thesis. It doesn't have to be the Encyclopedia Britannica. It doesn't have to be a Wikipedia version of the subject. How about Nehemiah's prayer? He starts off and he says, Hear, O our God. <laughs> and Bobby Richardson said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, amen. And he sat down. <laughs> and everyone's like, we like that guy. <laughs> You know, especially if they're going to eat after that. <laughs> but prayer doesn't have to take forever. Uh, but prayer can take a while. You know, I notice about prayer, it depends on where you're at. If you're in a hurry, your prayers will always be short. But if you're by yourself and you've got a ways to go, you've got some windshield time, sometimes your prayers can go for a while. 
But I know this, if you don't pray, if you don't pray, your mind will not be stirred to pray more. It takes discipline. It takes discipline. Well, let me say this, you overcome the foe through prayer, and you over, you're going to overcome the foe here in verse 6 with determination and duty. Determination and duty. Determination and duty. The Bible says here in verse 6, look at the de determination and the attention to duty, so built we the wall. There it is. I can see the determination, and I can see people engaged in duty. I notice they're focused on it, aren't they? They're focused. So built we the wall. You know what he's saying? Look, despite all these problems, despite the opposition, despite the foe, so we built the wall anyways. That's the way I read it. It's like, hey, the, it's, the show has to go on. And let me tell you what, in the Christian life, you're building a life for Jesus Christ. I hate to say it like this, but the show has to go on. Whether there's opposition or not, whether the foe is there to kick your teeth in or not, I mean, so built we the wall. you got to stay focused on it. And it takes focus to overcome the foe. It takes determination. It takes determination and duty. You have to be fervent in it, not only focused but fervent. I read a passage in Exodus chapter 36 verse 2. The Lord, uh, Moses says, even everyone whose heart stirred him up Come unto the work to do it. Now that's building the tabernacle there. And uh, what happened is uh, when they started doing the work, every man's heart who stirred him up. Let me tell you what to do, what God wants you to do. Let yourself get stirred up in it. Well, we get stirred up about things we like. I get stirred up about going eating chicken wings. You say, how stupid. Help yourself, man. I like chicken wings. Uh, I like a good steak. I like spending time with my family. Why not get stirred up about doing something for the Lord? It's just, I guess it just depends on where all your desires are at. I'm not getting after you. I'm just saying it has to be determination and allegiance or attention to duty to help you overcome the foe. Sometimes you just got to stay focused on it, and sometimes you just got to be fervent about it. I mean, are we not? Are we not? Uh, is there not a cause here at this local church that is greater than all of us? I mean, when you walk out that door, that's the mission field. That's where people are at that are lost, that need Jesus Christ. Is that not much greater than all of us? Then stay focused on it. Stay fervent in it. Focused and fervent. Read a piece in a, an article, and of course everyone knows the name Ludwig Beethoven, I'll look at Beethoven, or it's Beethoven there. I don't have to say, y'all know that he was a musical genius, and I understand that he was a Roman Catholic and all that, but he's still a musical genius. You realize the Lord gives all kinds of devils talent. He really does. He gives you talent too, amen. But what you do for it depends on uh, where your heart's at. But few people realize the adversity he had to overcome to achieve his greatness. A history says in his 20s, Beethoven began to lose his hearing. And because he couldn't feel the music as he once had, on one occasion he said his fingers became thick. His fingers became thick. His hearing problems haunted him in the middle of his years of his life, but he kept it a guarded secret. Apparently he didn't tell very many people. By the time he reached his 50s, history says Beethoven was completely deaf. But he refused to give up. Someone once overheard him shouting at the top of his voice, I will take life by the throat. And that might have came out, but anyways, he took life by the throat, right? And you got to do that. That's funny, you can laugh. <laughs> Many of his biographers believe the only reason Beethoven remained productive for so long was his determination. How about you? What are you determined to do? You determined to serve the Lord? You determined to build a life for Jesus Christ? It's going to take determination. Listen, sometimes you just got to stay focused. You got to stay fervent about it. And not only that, if you look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7, I'll show you this. When it comes to building a life for Jesus Christ and building a work for God, you're just going to have to stay faithful to it. You're going to have to stay faithful to it. There's been many times where I and, of course, Mrs. Evans, we've tried to busy and bury ourselves in the work here for the last 10 years and thankful for it. What a blessing it is to be able to serve the Lord. It really is. When, when we sing the song, work for the night is coming, we believe it. We believe it. I believe you believe it too. 
there needs to be a sense of urgency in your step. And we come, whether anybody comes or not, we just want to be found faithful. The Lord didn't call us here to be successful. <laughs> You're like, we can tell, preacher. That's right. He called us to be faithful. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, talk about Tychicus, a minister. He said, as a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. We don't know much about Mr. T here, right? We don't. Tychicus. But you know what we know? He was a faithful minister. Oh, to be said to be faithful. Oh, to be found faithful. Imagine having your name in the Bible somewhere, and it's actually talking about you, right? Like, my name's in the Bible, but not talking about me, amen? But say what we know about Hugh is we don't know much, but he was a faithful minister. You ever stop and think you worry sometimes about what everybody thinks about you, don't you? You do. That's human nature. You worry about what people think about you at work. You're like, I wonder if my breath stinks, right? I wonder if my feet stink. I I wonder if people find me offensive in my speech. But you ever just stop and wonder what God thinks about you? You ever worry yourself? You ever bother yourself to say, I wonder if the Lord thinks I'm faithful? Not what anybody at Bible Believers Baptist Church, I wonder what the Lord thinks about me. I'm just saying determination, allegiance to duty. You have to be faithful to it. Let me give you number three here. You overcome the foe not only with prayer, not only with determination and duty, but you're going to have to overcome the foe with the right mind. Now listen, the day and age you and I live in, people are out of their mind. People are losing their mind. Christians and lost people alike. So the mind, they say, is a terrible thing to waste, but your mind will play tricks on if you're not careful. That's why this Bible is so important. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I'll give you this verse here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You know the verse. You know where I'm going. You say, uh, uh, well, you know, I've got a trouble with my mind. Uh, Okay, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and sometimes still do. And every time I have trouble with my mind, it is because I'm thinking on the wrong things. I can blame my environment. I can blame my wife. I'm pretty good at that. I can blame my kids or, you know, I can blame Chuck playing the banjo or being whatever he's not doing. Uh, The bottom line is it's my thinking is off. A country singer said, I admit I've got a thinking problem. And that's your problem in the Christian life many times. It's just you got a thinking problem. First, uh, uh, Philippians, rather, chapter 4 and verse 8. Now, Paul, uh, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you and I how to think. And if there's anything that's important in 2024 is to be able to think well, amen, and think right. Uh, The Bible says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So here we have a template of what to think on. And I'm telling you what, if you write that stuff down and you get intimately familiar with that passage this week, the Holy Spirit will teach you how to think. He will help you how to think. And you and I need help on how to think this week. That's one of the main reasons that you're not able to overcome the foe is because you and I got a thinking problem. Uh, You look at other Christians and you're like, and you get upset with them. You you say, why? Uh, I'll tell you why. Because you think they're going to respond the same way you respond. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll respond better. Maybe they'll respond worse. But you have to think on these things. And in order to think on these things, I think you know where I'm going. You have to spend time in the Word itself. You have to learn to become intimately familiar with your Bible. Now listen to this, the right mind is humble. I'm giving you a bunch of these, and I'll just read a couple of verses so you don't have to flip yourself out in the Bible here. But the right mind is humble. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. If you don't serve the Lord with humility, you will not last long. It has to be humble. You say, why? Well, first of all, can I be honest with you? We're all just a bunch of volunteers. I mean, there ain't nobody on the payroll here. God's got the payroll, and it's up there. We're all volunteers, and you have to have humility. It takes takes a lot of humility to work with a bunch of volunteers and make the thing work, doesn't it? But you know the thing I like about this group? 
Man, I, I mean, besides our, you know, the siblings every now and then, right? Everyone just seems to, man, y'all get along well. That's a blessing. That's why God can bless that stuff. It's not a bunch of boo-hooing and, you know, fussing around and fighting, but it takes humility. You got to learn to, you know, check what you say. And if you say something wrong, you got to be willing to go, yep, yeah, my bad, <laughs> right? I, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm an idiot. We already know. You're right. All right. But you got to have the right mind. You know that right mind is? Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that's a ready mind. In Acts chapter 17, you have a group that received Paul and received his preaching. They're called the Bereans. And the Bible says in Acts 17, 11, they received the word with all readiness of mind. Amen. When the preaching comes and the teaching comes, and I know that it might not always be oratorically acceptable, but you ought to say, Lord, I'm ready to receive what you have for me. Lord, will you teach me? Will you... Will you make sure our preacher is not boring today or, or tells dumb jokes or something like that? But you ought to be ready. You ought to have a ready mind. And that ready mind will help you. And the right mind is ready and the right mind is sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. And that's, of course, Mark chapter 5, verse 15. The Bible says, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. One of the greatest verses in the Bible to me about service is that as soon as he's saved, if I say it like that, he has a seat. That reinforces, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a job to do. No, have a seat. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ, just like Mary was. Martha's in there carrying on like Martha is, right? And there's Mary. She's like, well, you know, <laughs> there'll always be dishes to do. There'll always be chores to do. There will always be a sanctuary to vacuum. There will always be trash to pick up. There will always be Tootsie Roll wrappers all over the place. But you know what? The best place, the best mind is sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ where you can get fed, where you can get a hold of him. We're talking about the right mind, learning how to think, learning how to overcome the foe. You've got to guard your mind. The right mind is a renewed mind in Romans 12 too. The Bible says be a transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every day you have to get in the Bible to be able to renew your mind. You can't just read it once a week and go, boy, that sure was good. I'll see you next week. You won't make it. You won't make it. You'll fall out by the way. You'll fall out by the way. The right mind is a renewed mind. How about this? The right mind is a willing mind. One of the hardest things to be in the Christian life is constantly willing. One of the things you need to be willing to do is change. Change. Change is the hardest thing to do. That's why little kids don't want to change your clothes. Little kids don't want to get in the bathtub. And Christians are kind of the same sometimes. They don't want to clean up when they should. You've got to be willing to change. The Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 12, for if their first be a willing mind, a willing mind. You know what the Lord wants from you? He wants you to be willing to hear what he has to say. And then when he shows you what he has to say, you have to make the decision Am I going to accept it or am I going to reject it? A willing mind. That's the type of mind that can overcome the foe. And the right mind, of course, is like Jesus Christ. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. The last one says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And through there, 6, 7, and 8, talks about being a servant. And, of course, back to humility again, being obedient to the death of the cross. But you overcome the foe with the right mind. Sometimes we're stressed out during the week. And you can't overcome the foe and you seem to get run over, right, like a steamroller by the devil, by the world, by your own flesh. Why? Just a state of mind. Let me give this one number four. You can overcome the foe by enduring them and outlasting them. You say, that's a weird one. It sure is. You mean just putting up with stuff? Amen. You can endure, you can overcome the foe by literally enduring them and outlasting them with the help of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 8, the Bible says, and conspired all of them to come and to fight. I know how the book of Nehemiah ends. Many of you do too. Guess what? They simply outlast them. You have to learn to outlast the opposition. Can I tell you that your troubles right now that are going on this very moment they might not be there in two weeks. I'd say probably a good time frame for most trouble is about two weeks. And then you got a whole new set of trouble. You ever notice that? 
I wish I'd have known that when I was in my 20s. I'm like, I just, it was like just terrible all the time. You know, it's just my mind, right, the way I think. But most trouble, give it two weeks, it'll be gone, and you'll have some more, and that'll go. Now, the big trouble, it stays around for a while, and it haunts you, and it freaks you out, and you kind of have a meltdown moment, you know, and you're all, all over the place. But most trouble is about two weeks. And then if it even materializes, it's still gone in a couple weeks. But you overcome the foe by enduring them. Uh, first of all, I think you know we're going here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You and I as Christians, uh, you overcome it by enduring hardness. Enduring hardness. I know as Bible believers we've been taught that. Amen. We've read that verse at least a hundred times. But let's read it again. 2 Timothy 2, 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So let's just face it. The Lord expects us to put up with difficult times. And they're going to come. And you might be going through them right now. He expects us to deal with it. I mean, after a while of getting punched in the face, which is no fun, it doesn't hurt as much. After a while of working with wood and stopping and crying while you pull out slivers, <laughs> after a while, your endurance pays off. You're able to deal with those problems a little bit better. You start to see them coming. You learn to put the gloves on, right? I'm just saying sometimes you just have to endure the difficult times. What you need to understand, Christian, is that pressure is part of the Christian life. Pressure is part of the Christian life. And what reveals what's inside of you is pressure. Uh, the illustration is... Uh, some of you watch them short videos and they put whatever it is they can find underneath the hydraulic press. And it goes, and it blows up. And you're like, oh, that's cool, you know. That's pressure. I mean, 100 tons of pressure on, you know, a juice box, there ain't going to be nothing left, right? Or they'll do, they'll do whatever. I mean, whatever. I mean, they put crazy stuff in there. But you're going to have to learn that pressure is part of the Christian life. Let me read this verse, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. The Bible says, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You know what's part of life? Pressure. You know how that pressure comes through? Reproof. Just getting chewed out. Now I know, uh, as a young person, I got chewed out, and I thought that the old man, old woman, just shut up, leave me alone. But that pressure is a part of life. That pressure is what you need. That Bible says it is the way of life. And sometimes it's just your turn. Well, pressure reveals what's inside. Would you agree? When you go through difficult times and you go through the hard times, pressure reveals what's inside. Look at Jonah chapter 4. Uh, Jonah went through some pressure. God wanted him to do something. Jonah chapter 4, verse 8. Of course, you know the story about Jonah and the whale. And Jonah, the Lord says, Jonah, I want you to go down and preach to a bunch of, you know, heathens there in Nineveh because uh, they need to hear what I got to say. And he, Jonah goes the other way. So, you know, the Lord has, has a storm go up, and then they throw Jonah overboard because he's, uh, you know, he's out of the will of God, and that whale swallows him, just like the Bible says, and spits Jonah up on the shore in Nineveh. He goes into the city there, so forth and so on, and begins to preach. And uh, Jonah hates what he's doing because he's a good Baptist, you know what I mean? He's just bitter all the time. And uh, what happens is the Lord brings out the, the hot sun and dries up a gourd that's given Jonah some shade, and that sun is a picture of pressure. And God will put pressure on you. know what Jonah does? Look here at verse 8. Jonah chapter 4, verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. You know what the, 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 the pressure of life revealed to Jonah? That he was angry and bitter. And when you go through things and God puts the pressure on you, you know what happens? What's inside of you is revealed. And here it's anger. Uh, you can look over at 2 Samuel 13 if you want, verse 3. Here we see when pressure is put on a young man, lust is revealed. Whatever's inside of a man when the pressure is put on, uh, that's what comes out. 2 Samuel 13, 3. The Bible says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab the son of Shimea, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. You say, what kind of pressure was on uh, Amnon? Oh, you know, just the pressure of being a young man. 
going through the stage of life where things are changing, hormones are changing, life's changing, uh, the flesh is changing, the flesh can't be satisfied enough, and he went through the pressure of not getting what he wanted, and when he, all that pressure got put on him, he raped his sister, and it revealed what was inside. He was full of lust. I don't know what pressure will reveal what's inside of you, but we see anger, we see lust. The, the same chapter, 2 Samuel 13, 38, Absalom, he gets his way, he kills his brother Amnon, and you know what's revealed with Absalom under pressure? Rebellion. Rebellion. I don't know what's inside of you today, but when the pressure of life comes on you, it reveals what's inside of you. Uh, people get this cockeyed idea that, well, you know, the storms that I'm going through, they're making me stronger for the Lord. No, they're just revealing what's inside of you. That's it. <laughs> and you say, what do you learn? You learn that you need Jesus Christ. You can't do it yourself. The storms of life and pressure, they reveal anger, they reveal lust, they reveal re rebellion. Of course, with Judah and John 13, it reveals greed. But pressure reveals what's inside, and not only that, but pressure reminds us of how much we need Jesus Christ. We're talking about overcoming the foe by enduring them and outlasting them. But pressure reminds us how much we need Jesus Christ. A simple verse here in John 15, 5, the Bible says, For without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Ain't that something? Without me, you can do nothing. You ever stop and think that you couldn't do what you do without the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, well, I'm pretty strong, I'm pretty apt, I'm pretty able. You are now. You might not be tomorrow. Well, talking about enduring hardness, you know, enduring afflictions, the Bible says, you can't escape them, you know that. But you can praise God for them. <clears throat> but you should be able to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 here. You have to learn to endure things. You have to learn to put up with things and have the right attitude when you're putting up with it. A lot of Christians go through things and they become bitter about it. And the last thing you want to do as a Christian is become bitter. Because when you become bitter, everything and everyone around you knows it. And your kids get bitter and your relatives get bitter and your spouse gets bitter. It's a, it's a miserable thing. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. Bible says, Paul says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Uh, you need to endure things. And Paul says he endured things for the brethren. All things for the elect's sake. He endured things for the brethren. So maybe what you're going through, God having you going through it, to be someone else's benefit. You see, we're so selfish sometimes. We're so minded about ourselves. We think that everything's about us. It's not. God might have just chose you as a vessel to let some of that pressure and some of that problem, some of those pains come through because he's hoping that you'll go through it the right way. And people are watching you, so you endure things, not only to outlast the opposition, but you do it for the brethren's sake. But most of all, you do it for God's glory. That's Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, I'll read it here. It says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You've got to have to learn to endure some things. Just go through it. Outlast the opposition. The Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was pretty unique. Uh, the winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. I don't know about you, but I want to run all the way with the flame of my torch still lit for Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if you're first. Is your torch still lit? <laughs> well, let me give you one more thing here about overcoming the foe. And we know the foe is going to come this way. He's going to come this week. And you're going to have to face him. That foe is the world. That foe is the flesh. And that foe is the devil. Well, look at verse 9. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 9, the last verse in our text that we read tonight. Let me say this, you overcome opposition by setting a watch. That means getting ready. you got to get ready. Verse 9, the Bible says, and set a watch against them. So you set the watch so you can stay ready, right? Look at verse 9. When did they set the watch? Day and night. you got to stay ready around the clock. Can I just say this? As a Christian, there's 
<laughs> no time off. There's, there's not a time in your Christian life where you used to come home and go, I'm just going to veg out for a while. I'm going to unplug. That is the most dangerous thing that you can do as a Christian. You cannot come home and unplug because when you unplug, everything else plugs in. That's one of the most dangerous things to do, to sit in front of that stupid idiot box and go, okay, I'm just going to veg on Netflix for the next eight hours. You wish you hadn't later. Because the moment you do that, the opposition realizes that, and I believe they communicate just like we communicate with all the devices and all the airwaves and all that cell tower stuff, and all of a sudden the devil's right out of hell go, here we got one. Uh, breaker, breaker, eastbound and down, we got ourselves a convoy. You know what I mean? And just like that, and here they come, and they're going to get right in your head, and there you won't think right. And here you got run over by the opposite. Why? I just, I need to come home and unplug. The dumbest thing you can do. You have to set a watch. You have to stay on guard. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. The Bible doesn't say, unless I'm unplugged. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And see, just about the time you unplug, he'll chew you up. He'll get you. you got to set a watch. That watch has got to be day and night. You set the watch here. Look at Psalm 141. We're just about done here. We're on the home stretch here. Just a couple more minutes, we'll be out of here. Psalm chapter 141, verse 3. You set the watch and you keep your mouth shut. You set a watch, you get on guard, and you keep your mouth shut. The Bible says in Psalm 141, verse 3 Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door. Of my lips. That's prayed by David. You know what he's saying? Lord, help me to shut up for you. Help me to know what to say. Now, that's difficult, isn't it? Everyone has something funny to say. And it's not always bad. But if you're going to overcome the foe, you're going to have to learn to set the watch, go on guard, and to learn to keep your mouth shut. Now, a bear hunter went out to shoot a bear because he wanted a fur coat. He found his bear, he drew his gun, pointed at the bear, and the bear said, hold it right there. Don't pull that trigger. Come out in the middle of the road, and let's talk this thing through. Let's be reasonable about this. The bear said, look, you want a fur coat? The hunter said, that's right. The man said, well, all I want is a good meal. That's all I want. You want the coat, I want the meal. And when it was over, the bear had the meal and the man had the fur coat. You can't compromise with the devil. God called us to be soldiers, not diplomats. So sometimes you just have to learn how to set the watch and keep your mouth shut unless you want a fur coat. Well, not only you set the watch and stay ready day and night, set the watch, learn to Keep your mouth shut and stop talking to the enemy. But how about this? You set the watch and you sharpen the sword. Look at verse 18. Let's go ahead of our text real quick. In verse 18, you set the watch and you sharpen the sword. The Bible says everyone had his sword girded by his side. Now, one of the best ways to get through the Christian life is to become intimately familiar with the sword, the word of God. Amen. What a blessed book that we have, not only instruction, we have food for everyday use, but we have a defensive weapon to guard off and ward off all the enemies. How would you like to be sent to battle like some of our boys were in the Civil War, uh, like the Confederate side, and they didn't, have, they, didn't have, they didn't have guns. They didn't have boots. They didn't have adequate uniforms. I'm like, at least want a gun that shoots, man. You know, I mean, we've, you know, the kids play these video games, unlimited ammo. I'll tell you right now, I don't care what anybody thinks. I've read enough history. If the South would have had unlimited ammo, they'd have run them Yankees all the way back to across the Potomac. But that's not what we're preaching about tonight. You set the watch and you sharpen the sword. And finally, in verse 9, you set the watch and you simply trust the Lord with the results. Here's the thing, it's the Lord. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. 
The Lord's given you the sword. The Lord allows the affliction to come your way. The Lord knows the opposition is there. You do everything in your power that you can do, and then you trust the Lord. Old preacher said, trust the Lord, but keep your powder dry. You've got to leave the results into the hand of God. The Bible says there in our text, verse 9, Nevertheless, we made prayer unto our God. You've got to set the watch and simply trust the Lord. I wanted to try to help you tonight about overcoming the foe. You've got to be ready. Why sometimes in the Christian life the foe gets you, the flesh gets you, the world gets you, the devil gets you. It's not because you're some terrible, wicked sinner and just a hell raiser. It's because you weren't ready for it. You didn't set the watch. You've got the sword. You've got the, you've got the weapon that'll beat them. You've got the determination. You've got the mindset. You've got somewhat of a prayer life. You just weren't ready because you didn't set the watch. So Christian, can I encourage you tonight, as you go out in the world this week, beginning as you walk out the door tonight, and you go to work in the morning, set the watch. Set the watch. Learn to keep these things a little bit more fastened. Set, O oh Lord, keep the door of my lips, David said. Set a watch, and then when you've done all you could do, you've sharpened the sword, you're ready for it, you've got the watch day and night, you've got to trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing, and you'll overcome the foe. The opposition engages the moment boots are put on the ground. The moment you put an ounce of determination into your work and walk for Jesus Christ, the opposition rears its ugly head. But never forget that opposition is overcome through prayer, determination and allegiance to duty, the right mindset, learning to endure hardness, and setting a watch so you'll always be prepared. Why don't we just take a moment tonight. We'll take about two or three minutes here. We'll have uh, Miss Evans come and play. Why don't we just take a moment, and she'll play something quietly. Why don't we ask the Lord for help for this week to overcome the foe? As she comes, you just take time. You can pray where you're at, or you can come to this altar. It's your choice. Lord, I need help overcoming the foe this week.